to Acts chapter 14, excuse me, Acts chapter 21. We'll be reading the first 14 verses. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. From there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, the prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns, his belt, owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Father, we ask for your blessing upon the reading of this word, and we want to look closely at a couple of points. We want to be instructed. Guide us by your wisdom and challenge our faith by your will for your glory that we might be encouraged to be faithful in the face of great fear. That we might not be overwhelmed by challenges in this world. That we might also be bold for the gospel and for your glory. It is in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. Paul is ending his third missionary journey. He is on his way back to Jerusalem, visiting churches along the way. And it seems like the Holy Spirit is working, letting people know of what is about to come, and there are some responses. There's some pushback. Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem no matter what, and yet people along the way keep telling him, don't go. They are afraid. Well, what we're trying to look at this morning is this idea of 
this need for fearless trust in the hearts and minds of every believer. You need to be fearless in your trust in the Lord, in your trust in his word, in your trust in his counsel. We saw last week that there was a continued emphasis on shepherding the flock, and there is a lesson last, also last week about the Christian's ability to face spiritual danger fearlessly. That's what we're talking about. And I kind of left it hanging there. There was not enough time to... Hence, this morning we're doing part two, and I'll tell you right now there may very likely be a part three. Then we'll move on. Because every time I look at this, I just see more and more and more. When we think about fearless trust, we need to ask ourselves very basic questions. How do you trust anyone without fear and doubt? We want to be able to put fearless trust in earthly leaders or earthly heroes. Is that what you want to do? We want to look at that a little bit, and we'll get that from the text. Is that what you want to do? Put fearless trust in earthly leaders. We also want to see about putting fearless trust in heavenly or divine heroes. Is that where your trust belongs? You should be figuring this out ahead of time. How and to whom are we to exercise fearless trust? And that has a significant bearing on your Christian walk and how faithful you are and how strong you are in faith. All of this hopefully will help us perceive a proper discernment about the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And I think that is one of the biggest confusions of a lot of Christians, whether they are reformed or whether they are, or go ahead and say it, charismatic. What, what role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of every believer? Now, in Caesarea, Luke records an event where Paul is confronted by the church there. The, Paul, the confrontation was regarding Paul's safety. Now, carefully consider, Paul had already confessed to another church. We saw that in Acts chapter 20. And on his way to Caesarea, there was another church in the text this morning that mentioned that they were afraid of what would happen to him at Jerusalem and warned him not to go. And they said that the Holy Spirit had told them or indicated to them, don't go. So we're looking at two different points of view or two different aspects of how do you perceive what the Holy Spirit is telling you. They were letting, the Holy Spirit was letting some of the people in the churches know that Paul was going to be tested in great stress. Their response was fear. Paul's response was courage and obedience. It 
Did the Holy Spirit challenge you to do anything frightening or scary? Would you do it? If the Holy Spirit challenged you, you're spending some time in prayer, you're spending some time in word, and something just laid on your heart and mind, and you knew that if you followed through with it, oh, that couldn't be so. I could lose everything I have. Or I could be harmed. Or I could be embarrassed. Or I could be ridiculed publicly. Would you do it? If the providence of God took you into an uncomfortable place, an uncomfortable event, an uncomfortable trial, would you accept it or would you do everything you could to get out from under it? I personally in my own life have experienced a very severe time of loss. And quite honestly, I confess, I got angry with God. I never stopped believing in him. I never stopped believing he was there. I was just tremendously annoyed with him that he would let that happen to me. He eventually chastised the dickens out of me and brought me around to understand what was going on and why it was going on. But that's usually the response most everyday Christians give when they are challenged in their faith. They have no fearless trust in God or his word. They want him to pave the road for them to make it smooth and easy and calm and peaceful. Verse 10 of our text, Luke wrote, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, Agabus is doing something that was traditional. Examples had already been set in Old by Old Testament prophets. Isaiah very often demonstrated his message. Ezekiel was challenged by God to take a rod and measure the temple, demonstrating God's message to the people of Israel. There's another account in 1 Kings 11 about a prophet named Ahijah going to Jeroboam and telling him, here, I've got this new coat. Let me take it off. I'm going to tear it in 12 pieces. You take 10 of them. This is going to be your lot from the nation of Israel. You shall rule over 10 tribes. Solomon, the king, will rule over one or two. And so Agabus was here just following suit, just as the old time, because he wanted to convince Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. He was being ruled by fear. How did Agabus know about the danger Paul would face? We are assuming that the Holy Spirit told him because the Holy Spirit seemed to impress that upon the minds of some others. 
but it was, I, I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't know if this helps you or not. He claimed the Holy Spirit told him. Or did someone else tell him? Agabus came from Judea, which was near Jerusalem, and he very likely heard of some plans. Let's get ready when Paul's here. Let's, let's, let's arrest him. Paul was going on fearlessly, trusting in the Holy Spirit, and a prophet heard the actual plans. Agabus heard the actual plans from an earthly man. And everyone became afraid for, the, for Paul's sake. Said, Don't go. Paul had direction from the Holy Spirit. Agabus claimed to have direction from the Holy Spirit. Who was right? That's the challenge we all face. That's the challenge we all face. Paul had direction from the Holy Spirit. Agabus did not. Yet when it came down to it, the whole church voted with Agabus. Verse 12, when we heard this, they heard what Agabus said, we saw Agabus demonstrate what would happen to Paul by using Paul's own belt. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. I'm emphasizing we there because Luke is writing, and Luke is, he's with the church. Paul, don't go. They could kill you. Quite frankly, that kind of rattles my cage a little bit. One of the closest followers of Paul, Luke himself, who is keeping an account of all of this, he is seeing the miracles, he is recording the events, and he too is afraid. It should speak to your heart and your mind and your faith. Is fear of the things of this world something we should be afraid of? You're reminded of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We only have to fear. The only fear. What did he say? Yeah, you got it. Thank you. I had a senior moment. By the way, Agabus was eventually proven biblically disqualified. We will see in just a few weeks how that happened. Deuteronomy 18.22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of the prophet. What was untrue about Agabus' prediction? Agabus said, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. The Jews did not bind Paul. The Romans did. So his prediction was not true. He was arrested. He was bound, but by Romans, not by the Jews. 
I have no doubt that the Jews wanted to stop Paul. But we need to see that there is a great risk when we place fearless trust in earthly leaders. Allow me to change the term just for a moment. There is a great risk when you place limitless trust in earthly leaders. The church has often been blessed with wonderful shepherds, with wonderful pastors, leaders, and teachers. And I would say that you certainly should trust or be able to trust your pastor. I hope you trust me. However, what do you find most trustworthy? Or what do you see in your experience of other people in other churches? What do you find or see them trusting most? Is it his charm? Is it his personality? Is it his good looks? Is it his ability to speak an inspiring message? Or is it that he tells you just what you want to hear? Or do you trust his commitment to the word of God? That's what every faithful preacher should do. Be committed to the word of God and its truth without apology, without distilling it, without making it soft. Commitment to the accuracy of the word of God. The Apostle Paul himself writing to the church at Galatians. I believe we mentioned this last week. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It does not matter if they are considered good, successful Christian leaders. There is a great risk when you place fearless trust in everything earthly preachers or earthly leaders do. What do you believe? I believe what my pastor teaches. I've been so blessed by him. That's good. But you need to be able to exercise faith and trust in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life. Because what happens if your pastor ever fails or is wrong? Pastors are human too. They are not perfect. I am not perfect. And I understand no one wants to be led astray, and no one certainly wants to be afraid. But sometimes, and it's too often, people are happy to be led astray. They're content to be led astray. If their leader would just reassure them and calm their fears, take away my fear. Let me be comfortable. Give me Hope, even if it's false, even if it's a lie. You, Christian, you must be able to discern 
when the true truth of God is actively being denied. You should be able to hear a man's message. Wait a minute. Did I just hear him right? Something's wrong. You should be able to discern it. And you've been a Christian. Most of you have been Christians most of your life, or at least most of your adult life. You should be able to discern truth from error. Just like that. Just because he's got a shiny TV show and a great big church does not make him right. And I'm not saying that just because I'm jealous. We must fearlessly trust God and always faithfully speak against the lies of Satan. Sometimes the lies are very subtle. That's why you need discernment to detect them. They're very small at the start. And once they are embedded, they get bigger. There's one great big huge lie in the church across around the world, most very prevalent in America, this thing about critical race theory. I have personally heard, and my jaw falls open when I hear them, I have personally heard more than one preacher, men whom I had respected and admired, whom I had listened to online and, and learned from, stand in the pulpit of their churches and apologize for being white. I am not a racist. I have brothers and sisters. I have found in my neighborhood Christian believers, and their skin is a lot darker than mine. That's wonderful. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. But there is something wrong when the gospel changes to the place that critical race theory and social justice become the new gospel instead of Christ came to save sinners. We must fearlessly trust God and always faithfully speak against the false lies of Satan and speak against a false gospel. I have personally heard preachers denying scripture and telling their followers that most of the Bible is no longer necessary. And I don't like naming names from the pulpit. If you meet me after, I will say, I will let you know. But you may know some of them. I'm sure you would know them. So we must fearlessly trust God and faithfully speak against the lies of Satan. And very often those lies come in through so-called Christian leaders who let themselves be led astray. And then they lead their flock, their congregation behind them. We need to hold firm and fast and be fearless 
about our trust in the one true Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his word because it never changes. And another thing I will say as briefly as possible, don't even, don't even begin to trust the government. I was listening I don't believe everything he says. I don't agree with everything he says. I was listening to E.W. Jackson last week. And he was talking about, gave an example of Representative Greg Stubbe. He was a congressman for the Fort Florida's 17th Congressional District. He was testifying before the standing judiciary. He was testifying against the Equality Act that was proposed before Congress. And here this man fearlessly quotes scripture before the Judicial Committee of our nation. He read Deuteronomy 22:5, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And he went on to clarify it, and let me read his quote. It's not clothing or style that offends God, but rather the use of one's appearance in order to act or take on a sexual identity different than the one biologically given to them by God at birth. What's happening is when men, women, and children do this, they are making a statement that God didn't know what he was doing when he created them. And if Congress supports that by passing extreme transgender bills like the Equality Act, then this country is going directly against what is laid out in Scripture. Here, I believe, is a Christian man, a believer, fearlessly trusting the Lord. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, responded, God's will is no concern of this Congress. Don't even try to trust the government. Paul had direction from the Holy Spirit. Agabus did not. Yet the church voted with Agabus because they let fear rule their life. We put too much fearless trust in earthly leaders. What about fearless trust in heavenly leaders or heavenly heroes? Your favorite preacher or your favorite teacher, they often fail. They may have be full of charm and wit. They can mask a lot of error with that. Theologically, they may compromise because... They fear people, not God. They don't want to lose their audience, so they will, in order to keep their audience, they will often say anything to the audience to keep them happy. I've heard a few things from, everybody knows him, Denzel Washington. 
I don't know specifically about the depth of his faith. And I don't know for sure that this quote is really his, but it was attributed to him. And I like it, so I'm going to use it as an illustration. Here's a man who's well-known in Hollywood, well-known around the world. I'd rather stand with God and be condemned by the world than stand with the world and be condemned by God. There's fearless trust, an example of it, an illustration of it. I pray and hope that he is a true believer. I don't know him that well. Earthly leaders will often fail morally, morally, not just theologically. And failures seem to be happening too often. And when they fail morally, they are disqualified for the pulpit. And yet we see so many of them so full of pride, staying in the place of church leadership. We live in a spiritually dark and rebellious day. And I know it seems to be overwhelming, but we need to stand and put fearless trust in God and his word. We talk about putting fearless trust in heavenly heroes who? If you look back at Israel, particularly Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, that place had become a place of evil. It was saturated in spiritual darkness. Not only that, the Roman Empire, who had governed over them for years, also had promoted idolatry, immorality, and brutality. Brutality had gotten, even then, had become like entertainment in the Roman Empire. And God sent and I don't mean this irreverently, God sent a hero, a deliverer, a redeemer, to defeat the arch enemy once and for all. Christ has done it all. In him we have a full victory over this world, so we have nothing to fear if we are in him. Are you in him this morning? Matthew 12, verse 18, the Lord himself gave testimony of the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel and cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. That's a prophetic description of your Lord and Savior. We have his comfort, we have his strength, we have his security, his protection. We have his word, his promise that shall never fail. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? Do you trust him? The Apostle John wrote in his first epistle, chapter 2, 
I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So in Christ, we really have nothing to fear. If we are in him, he has taken every reason or cause to be afraid. Can we trust his word? Can we trust his word? Did you ever notice, and I know you've read this before, some of you may have it memorized. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. You must trust his word. The Gospel of John and the Lord himself both equivocated themselves to the written word of God. I am the living word. So the truth here does not change. And you must trust it. Whether you understand it or not, there will come a day if there's something mysterious about you just don't get. By faith, accept it. And he will lead you into understanding it. He will lead you in enough truth and discernment to understand it. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. That's describing someone who trusts in the Lord and his word. We are secure. That psalm says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields the fruit in its season. We become spiritually fruitful, spiritually nourished, spiritually confident. Now, young people, I know you are challenged every day to believe. A few weeks ago, I read a post written online, written by a father. He had raised his daughter in a Christian home. They were faithful in church. She was involved in the youth group. She was one of the leaders in the youth group. She had gone to a Christian school, graduated with honors, and then went on to a state school. And by the time she had come home, her, her first semester, her first semester break, university had already just washed all of that away. She came home mocking the Lord and mocking Scripture, no longer believing, saying she'd lost her faith, and his father's heart was broken. You young people, I know you face challenges. I did when I was your age. You must now make a decision. I will stand with the Lord no matter what. 
I might be frightened by what I face, I might be challenged by what I hear or what I see, but I will be faithful to the Lord. Will you fearful, fearlessly trust in your Savior? Always. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, another one I'm sure most of you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean unto your own understanding. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's a sovereignty. We don't get to vote on what we like or don't like. He's the king. He calls us to obey, and we must. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We see too much fearless trust in earthly leaders. We see too much fearless trust in Christian leaders, and earthly leaders and so-called Christian leaders can and often do lead us, lead us astray. We must trust in the Lord. We must trust in his word. And trust and belief are intertwined. In 1855, it's kind of hard to believe that there was someone that long ago this foolish to try this, a man by the name of Charles Blondin, who happened to be an acrobat and a tightrope walker, claimed that he could walk from one side of Niagara Falls to the other on a tightrope. This event was promoted. They got a big crowd at one of the Welcome centers at Niagara Falls, and the cable was set up, the rope. And he stood up, being a showman, trying to get the peak crowd all excited. Do you believe I can do this? And everyone cheered and hollered. Then he asked him, Do you believe I could do it with someone on my back? And everyone cheered and hollered. Where's my volunteer? And everyone got quiet. Henry Colcord was Blondin's manager. He was the only one that stood up. And they say they made it across safe. There is a difference between believing in God and trusting him with all your heart. Sometimes we're going to see tests in our life that are going to be frightening. They're going to be uncomfortable. We must trust God, he has us there for a reason. When you trust him wholeheartedly, you can submit all your ways to him and trust him for the outcome. 
The world says, fight back. Christ says, turn the other cheek. The world says, be proud of yourself. The Lord says, he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The world says, pursue your passion, live your dream, experience it. The Lord says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We have to look to Christ for our example. And Paul exhorted us to follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word and its power and its truth. Let us trust in it, Father, that we may live without fear, that we may be courageous enough and bold enough to follow you no matter what. And I pray for the youth in our congregation, Lord, that you may keep them faithful. So many of them leave home, start life on their own, forsake their Savior. Lord, do not let this happen. Not here. Use us always for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.